Sherelle's have decided to roll down my fucking street. Hold on. <clears throat> All right. Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ron Swallow. I'm Ed Greer. And today we have a uh, writer, and I consider him a critic, but we're going to talk about that. Uh, uh, he he writes on uh, Honest Trailers. I met him back when I was a more regular person at Screen Junkies. He is such an awesome guy. He's one of the Twitter follows that I just... I just have to see that every day. Part of my my regimen is to look at this guy's tweets, and that, I can't say that about very many people. I, I'm honored to call him a friend, uh, a great guy. Give it up for Lon Harris. Oh my Woo. god, what an intro! <laughs> Ed, Ed loves to be giant, good intros. <laughs> yeah, wow, Which that's, is better I, because I, I would have like been I'm, like, I would have been like Lon Harris. That's it. <laughs> No, I've, he's here. He agreed to come. Yeah, I feel like I'm I mean, like the yeah. podcast lifetime achievement award. I have <laughs> well, no, I mean honestly, dude, I'm, I want to get I want to get down to this because uh, we were just talking off air, and I want to recapture it about like so you're one of the people who like uh, you and Hal on your Binge Boys uh, podcast. Uh, you, like I looked at Hal's tweet the other day about the new Boba Fett show, and it was uh, he said it was basically just. Uh, uh, the less good Mandalorian, and I was like, "That's exactly what the fuck I was thinking." That's what I was thinking. Yeah. And like, I go to you guys for like, okay, that's what I was thinking, and I think that uh, humbly, me and Ron are sometimes that for other people. So it's like you're one of the people like, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, and I mean, there is there is something that's so immediate about that when somebody else has your reaction. It's like we we all we all kind of crave that, and you know, like mm -hmm. you you want that you want that that little taste of validation, like and especially I think that's one of the things that's great that critics can do is they can describe something that they like that you like as well, but sort of pick apart like here's why it was cool, like and mm -hmm. in a way that you might not have thought of. But I, I was just uh. Uh, I really like the fourth matrix. We don't have to get into that. I know Ron has not seen it, but uh, there's, there's a, there's an effect that they do in it that I had, I was watching and I was like, Oh, that's cool. But that was all. I just was like, that looks cool. But then I read a whole tweet thread about how they did it and really like unpacking it. And it was like, it was so cool to read like more, like more in-depth thoughts about a thing that I had just briefly thought about. And so I think that at the, at its best, that's what the kinds of stuff we do can do for people is like, Here's the thing that you like, but here's a different way to think about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's definitely one of the goals when we do shows like this is to get people looking a little deeper into what they enjoyed and why they enjoyed it so that Correct. they can find more things to enjoy and get a little more knowledge that when you start looking at something and watching something and you go, why do I like this weird part in a movie? Oh, it's because they did this, this and this. And I learned mm -hmm. that from Lon Harris or Ed Greer, yeah, yeah. not from Ron and Swallow, because he's just like, that fight scene's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I, we, we so often get stuck, especially on Twitter. I mean, this is this is a Twitter problem as much as anything else problem. But we so often get stuck on the, the, the most superficial, like, it's good, it's bad. Like, no matter what I say about a show, even a show, like, Hawkeye's a good example of, I had like a whole tweet there about that. I didn't love it. There was stuff I liked. There was stuff I didn't like. I'm sort of split on it. But if you're like, here's a thing I liked in Hawkeye, rather than even talk about that thing, a lot of people will just come back and you're like, Hawkeye sucked. Or like, I loved yeah. it. I thought everything was great. And it's like, those are, that's it. That's the whole conversation is like, mm -hmm. how much money did it make opening weekend? Or is it good slash does it suck? I mean, sometimes those comments come out of, come out of nowhere, almost like it was dark green. 
Like you might as well have said that. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? It, it doesn't have anything to do with the substance that I'm saying about the thing. But also, I, I don't like when people try to psychologize creators. Uh, I, even like cr- critics is one of the only things I don't like about criticism sometimes. And it's because I engage in it so much. Like I'll show you an example. The stupid ass Boba Fett show exists because these <laughs> fucking nerds won't let it go that Boba Fett sucks ass. They just won't let it go. Even high level super paid nerds like like Favreau and, and Filoni and all them and, and right. R- Rodriguez, they can't let it go that Boba Fett sucks. And they can't let it go that they read a couple of the classic books or whatever. Like my girlfriend, I live with one of these people. She read those classic <laughs> bounty hunter joints. Right. And when he crawls out of the Sarlacc pit, like that mind, that paint by numbers that they're making from that information of him crawling out of the Sarlacc pit, all burnt up and shit, smacking up some Jawas, getting his armor back, getting his dick right, flying out, <laughs> gra- grabbing dudes. They just have built this beautiful lattice work that simply is not there. And now I, all, yeah. now they there, get to was, make it. Now they get to show there's, it. There's two things that really bug me about. We're gonna, we're just off on a Boba Fett rant now because that, okay. that sequence in particular bugged me. Because first of <laughs> all, I don't like the idea. And, and I, I, this is another fight I got into on Twitter. When C-3PO is translating for Jabba the Hutt and he's like, you will discover a new meaning for pain and suffering as you're slowly digested over a thousand years. Now, obviously... Boba Fett probably doesn't live for a thousand years. So we can assume that this is an embellishment of some kind. But you do assume that the the core thing we're being told is true. Like, it sucks to die via Sarlacc because you don't just die right away. You get, like, dissolved in acid over the course of a long time. And that's why they throw people into the Sarlacc pit. And I like that. That's a cool idea. It makes Return of yeah. the Jedi cool. It's like, it does feel like a alien serial sort of throwback retro kind of Flash Gordon sort of storytelling. It's the kind of so, thing that a bad guy would do too. Like, I'm going to really Yeah, it's like, up. right. That feels yeah. like, oh, this disgusting slug gangster throws people in and they're eaten slowly by this gross worm. And then we see Boba Fett. So for immediately, we're just like demystifying the whole thing. Like now we see inside... Here's what here's what the inside of a Sarlacc looks like, folks. There it is. And what I really hated is the other stormtrooper that got thrown in there is already dead. Like that, it's just a corpse already, and his armor's barely started to dissolve. So it's like, so it doesn't say you don't discover a new meaning for pain and suffering at all. You just die. It's literally just like being thrown in a normal pit. There just happens to be a big worm in this one. And like, and and if you're wearing Beskar, then good, then you're fine. Dude, but otherwise you're fucked. And think that about how so nasty cheapens this cool moment. Yeah. Even if they had had him being like writhing in pain, we're gonna get off this audience, I promise. But you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, even if they had him writhing in pain, also or we're gonna have to put a spoilers thing at the beginning. <laughs> no, we're gonna have to re-record That's the that. first scene. That's the first scene. That's literally the first scene. And you know he got out of there because you know he, he fell must in have the. Gotten out of there. Yeah, you know he got out because you know he can't he get the fuck out of here. So That's prologue but, uh, to the book of Boba Fett. That's not even <laughs> chapter one. That's before. Yeah. They they already know he's gonna get out, and how he got out sucked. Sorry, it's not our fault. But it's, but like, no, I it, yeah. it's not. I get that you have to do that. Be people are expecting it of like the the gauntlet rising above the sand, like Pat Oswalt described long ago. And and like uh-huh. I get that you have to do that. I just I would have liked it to be like make it like a year that he spent in there or something, and he's like messed up in the head now. Or so like that's a story that Agreed. that expands the mythology. This contracts the mythology. It like, and people were writing me like I tweeted about that observation that I don't like how we 
demystified the Sarlacc. And everybody's like, well, it was obviously just supposed to be a legend. And it's like, yeah, but now it's that. But I don't want to know that. That's lame. But it's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's just a worm. We just feed you to this worm. It's fine. Well, and it just, it will stop you right here to go. And this is the type, this is what we're talking about, about the modern form of criticism, right? And the reason why I consider you a critic, and I frankly, some people probably consider me a critic, even though both of us are freelance writers. That's it's the, how and that's how I've been making yeah. my living for, for a minute and how you've been making yours. So it's like, it is, people will think, and Ron is, and Ron is a professional comedian. So it's like, we, we, we play about criticism, but honestly, that's what modern criticism kind of is, is some riffs and some having some fun and some logic in there somewhere. And if you like that and appreciate it, that's kind of the new landscape. And I just wanted to show that that's like a, an example of it. This this kind of critical thought now that isn't so much. There's a, it was much like Truffaut's 400 Blows when the yeah. gauntlet came out of the sand. There's a little bit <laughs> right. less of that and more of what we just did these days. Well, yeah. And that's, I mean, look, I got to say, I don't. I do not care about critics. So many times critics have been like, this is a masterpiece. And then I go and watch a movie and it's boring and I don't have a nice time. And, <laughs> and, and I recognize because I have enough knowledge to recognize that it's a well-made movie that looks great and all of that stuff, but it just doesn't grab me. And then sometimes I like something like fucking rapid fire, which I mention in every episode. Because I, it's now it's a weird streak of you mentioning no, fucking yeah. Brandon Lee's random. I'm, I'm bringing it. This is, like Tom Holland. this is like Tom Holland on on rebooted guys. But <laughs> I it's not a good movie. I know it's not a good movie, but I really enjoy the movie. So I think that's what that to me that's one of the differences that when we're talking about criticism, we're not when you when someone criticizes something that doesn't mean they didn't enjoy the movie. It's just that they're looking at things in a more critical form and I, they're I think, not yeah. saying if they enjoyed the movie or not. Sometimes they are because obviously you get paid for putting this movie as a pile of shit or whatever because that people will click on that sort of thing. But I, I just think like I just I just want to know if people enjoy a thing sometimes. I think it's it. We only have one word for this. We all like film critic or film criticism, but we're actually talking about a whole bunch of different things. Like, mm -hmm. like there, like when film criticism, the original idea was, yeah, it was like most people were maybe you were reading in the newspaper, like it's a it's a hit or it's Bafo or whatever. <laughs> but like for the most part, that stuff was being written for like you know it was like a European art house crowd like Cairo's du Cinema and it was like Andre Bazan and it was like these intellectuals writing for one another and and like it, you know that like there was that school and so I think there's that kind of criticism to today where it's like cultural and media studies and sometimes people will read that thinking it's like, well, but should I go see Venom? And it's like, that's not what that is. That's like art appreciation. Or if you were going to yeah. read like a review of a, a sculpture or a restaurant or a play or whatever, like, and then I think there's the, the next level, which is the like, well, should I spend my $10 on that? Like the like Leonard Moulton school of, of criticism or like what Siskel and Ebert were doing, like what I grew up with. Where it was like, yeah, people writing in your local paper and it was like thumbs up, thumbs down, three stars, two stars. And like, I feel like that stuff we almost don't even need. Like, why do we even still have that? Because people kind of make up their own minds. There's plenty of marketing. There's tons of information now about what movies are coming out and what you might want to see. And 
as the as the options contract, like more and more people have decided they're not going to theaters to see dramas or romantic comedies or thrillers or historical movies. They're just going to go see the franchises they like, the characters they like. So in that environment, you don't even need those guys, really. You can just you know what you want to go see. I like Venom. I like Jurassic Park. I like Fast and Furious. Like your mind's made up. You know what to go see. And then there's the last tier, which is just like loud mouths on the internet which is like everybody else. And we're just all <laughs> shouting at each other. So I think like, it, it's helpful to think about like, well, what are we talking about when we're talking about critics? Are we talking about like, okay. you know, like A.O. Scott and like, uh, well, you know, well, what's your guard? And are we talking about well, those guys? Or are we talking well, about, what you, you know, were, like. What you were saying earlier is how it is though. Now, if you look at it, it is, it's either the last vestiges of criticism are what it always was, which is we as a magazine stand behind this person's opinion as either a firebrand that brings us traffic because they'll occasionally say that Empire Strikes Back sucks or whatever. They go, yeah, Ooh, what? this and, guy and says Empire Strikes Back sucks, you know. And there's there's value in that. I mean, I think the idea is if you're reading criticism because you just want to like think about the things you're seeing in different ways, you want you like this person, you may not agree with them. But you you consider them somebody who has a they have a lot of experience, they have interesting insight, and you value what they have to say, even if it's not necessarily like, should I see it or do, am I going to agree with it? And and like there are guys like Armand White's a good example. Jay Carney was a guy I read when I was growing up who was just like a curmudgeon, like just didn't like stuff. And everything was like, he did this with stuff as fake art. Like he'd be like, uh, oh, you guys all like that Spielberg movie, but it's fake art. And like I disagreed with him all the time. He used to beat up movies that I love. But it was interesting just to be like, wow, what's this crank going to say about this thing that I love? And it would sort of teach you to like, you know, think about things in another way or like maybe mm. reconsider something. And and I, I, I think we're so against this idea of like revising your opinion or changing your mind or coming mm -hmm. around on something like, uh, you know, everybody does that thing of like the 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 Marvel movie that we didn't like, you know, five years ago, maybe like, oh, but you know what? Amazing Spider-Man 2, not that bad. They're like, I feel like like as a culture, we sort of resurrect stuff from the past. And we're like, ah, maybe it wasn't so awful. But uh, the as individuals, I think people are just really hesitant to do that because we've kind of put our opinions out on Twitter. Be like, we're like staking our claim. Like, I liked mm -hmm. this thing. What my problem, my confusion here is like people with opinions, fanboy opinions are generally kind of stupid but still also fine. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's fine. Like if you're a fanboy and other fanboys like your fanboy opinion, they're probably getting information that like works for them, but those people aren't critics. So, so I don't know if we count that as criticism. So what let's lay down what we think actual film movie, etc. criticism is. My my thing would be I, I don't feel like there used to be this category of, you know, there's there's six movies opening this weekend. You want to go see a movie with your with your husband, with your girlfriend, whatever. We're going to help you pick out what to go see. And I just don't think okay. that that doesn't exist anymore. Now it's like the choices are Netflix, Hulu, these three franchise movies, those eight video games. It's just like there's no no one person is ever going to be like, here's what to do. We all know what we want to do anyway, for the most part. So I would say, just get get rid of it. Just like you don't you don't need that. I don't I don't need that anymore. I think that no more the criticism. value, the value would be 
people who have interesting tastes, interesting perspectives on things that they've seen, who are going to write about them in a way that enlightens me or adds to my enjoyment of it or my dislike of it, gives me more of a sense of, oh, well, that that does help to explain why I reacted the way I did, even to this thing I didn't like. And I mean, there's there's countless good examples of that. Uh, I, I read I read a whole book about the Sopranos that uh, that 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 you got Matt Solar Zeitz and I'm blanking on the name of the other guy who wrote it. Uh, I'll look it up. But anyway, it's like it's full of like insights about you know how this scene was made and uh, did you think about this scene and this this character and this relationship in this way. And like if you're a fan, it's really fascinating and enlightening to read that kind of stuff. And to me, that kind of criticism has a ton of value, and it really doesn't have that much to do with whether you agree with it or not or whether you're going to pay to see the movie or not. It kind of assumes you are going to pay to see the movie because otherwise you're not going to get that much out of the right. So it's almost like criticism is, is moving more in the direction of a discussion, a, and an enlightenment discussion on art or comedy or a fight scene or whatever it is, or the way something's done or the writing, however it is, whatever we're ended up discussing, instead of criticism, which was the, do you like this? Should a kid go to it? Or here's right. breaking and I, down. I mean, I've never, I'm personally just not that interested in like good, good, bad. Like it was good. Yeah. It was, it was bad. We could cover that in two seconds. And it's like yep. me, especially if I don't know you, like if you're my friend and I know that our opinions align about stuff. And I'm like, what did you think of the new Michael Mann? And you're like, not as good as the last one. I'm like, ah, like I, I know that that means I'm probably not going to think it's as good. If you're a stranger and I'm like, what did you think of the new Michael Mann? And you're like, it was all right. That does nothing for me. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know you. Maybe you're an idiot. Uh, Maybe so you love you, rapid if, fire. <laughs> you love rapid fire but if i'm um, having a discussion with you like have you seen collateral don't you love that scene in the jazz club i like how they sh- you know man shoots it this way or i like how using the digital cinematography in, in collateral like it doesn't make la look pretty it's kind of like grungy and dingy and it highlights the kind of weirdness of la and the alienness of la at night sometimes and you know like that's interesting. Like I good bad I uh, I think it's good. Well, what you guys are talking about though is has been in existence forever and is different from criticism and that's like film writing. Like when I used to read like fucking film comment magazine and shit, boy, right. my little synapses were trying hard to comprehend this 15-page article about out of sight or or that's that and treating out of sight the same way it would treat 400 blows or La Note or whatever. It's just like, we're going right. to treat out of sight like one of these great films, for, right? Because it is, you know, they, they decided that yeah. it was, they treated it that way. And they wrote about it the same way you'd write about uh, uh, some Antonini picture or whatever. Well, that, that was the great breakthrough of Kyrs du Cinema, like Andre Bazan and Jean-Luc Godard and Truffaut and that whole cloud, all those guys, that was their big insight was they were in the forties and fifties in France. And they were like, Look, we're all sitting over here watching our, you know, like movies, like art films from the 1910s and 20s and writing essays about, you know, 
the the camera and the gaze and whatever. Uh, but the most interesting work is being done in Hollywood. It's these genre movies. And that was their whole thing. It was like film mm-hmm. noir and westerns and John Ford movies. And like, those are the directors that those guys were watching. And then through their writing, they helped to like popularize those styles and those ideas. And then if you go back and watch when they started making movies, those are the movies they made. Like Truffaut made Shoot the Piano Player, which is just an American style film noir. But, you know... In, with, with a bunch of Frenchies. And, uh, and like, so <laughs> I think to me, it's like, that's all, it's all part of one conversation. Like criticism is just film writing, but with a little bit more attitude, you know, a little bit more like, and that's why I think this is better than that instead of just comparing this to that. But I don't think that necessarily means like you should see this and not that. Again, it's kind of a lot of it's written with the assumption you'll have seen it all because you're, they're referencing it all. Like in, right. in the same way that an academic would be like, you know, this book is interesting because of this. And this book I don't think is as interesting. Like, that's not, don't read that book. That's just like, I think this one is, makes a better argument. You know? Well, see, and that, that, but see, that's what I'm saying about in regards to film criticism. A, definitely not being dead. I mean, it is a dead art in that if, if I had a kid, I wouldn't be like, you know, what's the booming, you know, what's plastics, baby. I wouldn't <laughs> I give mean, them the plastic like, speech about, about, about film criticism. Right. I wouldn't give them but that. But like speech. in the 80s, I used to tell my dad I wanted to be a film critic and he was like, no, go to law school. We'll figure it out. You know, like he was, <laughs> it was never, it was never well, a thing that you were hoping your son was going to want to do. It was always like, well, but at least there were newspapers. Yeah. At least there were newspapers when you were a child. You know what I mean? That's true. It was well, better. No, it was much oh. more promising then than now. But it was yeah, still definitely. because now everybody has access to YouTube and a webcam, and everybody can be a critic on YouTube. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, sure, you'll have people who maybe know more or know less or whatever. But like you can just go on YouTube and find somebody who's doing yeah, it. Yeah, um, it's the I don't I'm I'm not I'm not going to name names. I don't want to call anybody out. Everybody's great. Listen, but like one of the things that I was very good working at Screen Junkies for as long as I did, we got to have a lot of people from the YouTube sphere and the film Twitter sphere. Like a lot of those names and faces came through movie fights or, you know, one of our other shows and the diversity of knowledge like sometimes you would get somebody sitting across you and be like i cannot stump this person they have seen everything they know every reference they're hit (laughs) they're they're talking about films i've like vaguely heard of 10 years ago like this person has it on lock like they know their stuff and then sometimes you'd be sitting across from a person to be like i can't believe you are getting away with this like this is fraud like you don't know what you're talking about and that's how i feel every time i talk about something and you just you just don't know. I mean, like, either, you know, if a person is a good actor and like you don't need that breadth yep. of knowledge to do a lot of these videos, like a Con- lot of these videos sells shit. And, and a lot of them are like, we're going to talk about Nolan. And if you've seen the four big Nolans, you can have that conversation. And people don't know that you haven't seen any of the movies that Nolan is inspired by or riffing on or in conversation with, you know, like it's it's not that hard if you're confident and you sound see. authoritative. And see, there, there we go. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I think, I think overall, o- over these conversations, I always find myself picking something and going, okay, this is my, this is my thing I'm going to do for this podcast. And I think I have to keep bringing it back to actual film criticism shouldn't die because we need it more now than ever. And I'll explain why. Because look, you're right. There's a billion fucking streaming services doing a billion pounds of shit. And you're right. A lot of people have their presupposed notion of what they think they like, but it, 
in that that's when you that's when the house is the most on fire because i i i have hulu i watched a, a few of the things on there but by no means everything that hulu proffered to me or else i'd fucking die i'd be 800 pounds my life would be ruins so it's like yeah. right now I think it's more important than ever for us to like find voices that are informed and intelligent. They don't just tell us what we want to hear. They tell us stuff that we might not want to hear and be like, ah, you know, I think there is a, a necessary need for intelligent people to go this or that for you. Because I, I think now that we're entering an era where in the future, they're going to look back on this the way that Truffaut and them looked at those Hollywood movies. They're going to go, this was low art. This superhero crap was low art. And it took over the cinemas. And now that it is the new art and the new standard, we still need people to parse through those standards. Because goddammit, Venom yeah. ain't fucking with Spider-Man No Way Home. I like that the Venom movie just kind of cut loose. Was just like, You know what Venom <laughs> reminded me of? Venom felt like, like, if you go back to the 1990s, imagine if like, the X-Men series had never happened. And then the MCU had never happened. And that whole, like Nolan had never done Batman. And that whole like grounded, more realistic, we're going to do comic books, but it's comic book characters in our world. If mm -hmm. that had not become the standard, if the standard mm -hmm. had stayed the, the Blades and the Spider-Mans and the crazier 90s versions of shit, I feel like that's what mm. that's the universe that Venom the Venom movies come from. They're like this Venom. alternate timeline where shit just kept getting weirder and weirder instead of kind of conforming and becoming more mainstream. And I well, I'm glad everything is not like that, but I like that that there is an option like that that exists. See, well, that, see and was, that's the function of criticism though. Just right there, you 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 defended that thing I find kind of execrable in a way that made me <laughs> understand where you were coming from and also also hit me in my heart of criticism in that are you just now a jejun marvel apologist person forever like you're gonna like the way that they do it just because their style agrees with you even if it isn't necessarily pushing boundaries if it's just you know what i mean if it's just that, more that's what i would say about venom specifically is that it's it reminds me of the super mario brothers movie in a way because yes i, exactly. I know that sounds yes. weird but it's like no super i get mario exactly brothers movie, what you mean because it was batshit crazy, and they was, did whatever the fuck they yeah. wanted to do. And I feel like that's like, what happened with Venom, too. I don't I enjoy totally that agree. completely, but I, I do like that they were like, you know what? I'm just going to do the weirdest that, shit that I could do with an alien symbiote. Exactly. Is it an alien like, symbiote? Like, it's yeah. like, what if there wasn't a Feige and there was nobody watching, like supervising? <laughs> and every yeah. time a new person got a new one of these properties, they were just like blank paging it, like, okay, what do we do? We're making Venom. And like, that just doesn't happen anymore. There's a fucking roadmap. And like, I'm not saying it's mm. bad that there's a roadmap. I, I get why there's a roadmap. There's too much content being made for there to not be a roadmap at this point. Yeah. But I'm glad that there feels like there's a few things that still get treated as kind of weird one-offs and don't have to conform entirely to the roadmap. And so I, mm -hmm. I thought I thought the Venom movie was was silly and fun. Yeah, I mean, and and that's one of the again, this is the best part about uh, talking about films and and talking about art in general is just that you can get a different perspective and you can have fun at something that's not good, by the way. Right. Like, and, and I mean, I think that's, that's allowable or don't even bother categorizing it as bad or good. Like good there are bad. movies yeah. where I legitimately couldn't even tell you 
that I just watched one. Have you guys ever seen Hardcore? Paul Schrader made a movie in 1979 with George C. Scott called Hardcore. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And George C. Scott plays a Calvinist, a very religious man, a business owner from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And his daughter goes on a Bible camp trip to Los Angeles and disappears. And he hires Peter Boyle, who's this really seedy L.A. private detective, to like find his daughter. And Peter Boyle discovers that his daughter has gotten into the porn business. And it oh, culminates shit. in a very famous scene where Peter Boyle brings an actual real, because you know, this is the 70s, brings an actual reel of porn starring George C. Scott's daughter and rents out a theater in Grand Rapids and like, uns- like shows, projects it for him. And George C. Scott is sitting there in the theater like watching his daughter like... <sighs> turn it off like you know like losing his mind it's a uh, mm-hmm. it's both amazing and George C. scott is like acting his fucking heart out and it's this very sincere movie and it really follows the same kind of template as taxi driver which he'd written not that long before this but it's also mm-hmm. so ridiculous and cheesy and it's set in this incredibly like scummy 70s porn underworld that is really dated now um joel schumacher kind of ripped off this movie in in eight millimeter yeah eight millimeter yep 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 but uh but i fucking love this movie i mean i love it i've seen it five times i just went to go see it projected (laughs) at the the los Feliz three because the cinematech showed it so it's like i'm not saying it's good like i don't know i feel like a lot of people would watch it today and be like this is terrible but again, uh, it comes down to taste and it also comes down to do you know that person's sensibility? You said something very good uh, earlier because like I learned I learned how to read Ron's sensibilities. So I know what Ron will like and he knows what I would like and he knows nice. why. You know what I'm saying? So like I think uh, that's that's a really important part of it because I was talking to like a fucking Lyft driver one day and this isn't some giant bit of Lyft driver humor. It's just a regular guy. We were got to talking <laughs> about films and he goes, yeah, you see Starship Troopers? And I was like – and I don't, I, I don't try to get effusive around people because sometimes they won't like something. And I'll just, I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen it, you know, like that. But I wanted to be like, yeah, I've seen it. That shit's the shit. But I go, yeah, I go, yeah, I've seen it. And he goes, uh, yeah, that's pretty bad, bro. Like uh, the fucking acting was terrible, and the people will play. And I'm just like, oh, so like you don't understand the whole thing about it being right. the people are kind of automatons, and they were kind of picked for their Beverly Hills 90210 look, so you could see young, vibrant idiots right. sent off the war in a fascistic machine yeah, you didn't kind of we'll see right. all that's, of that you know the camp was in it you didn't the, really see all that Verhoeven, it was like five percent too subtle for americans like i feel like just mm-hmm. the fact that there are all these incredibly white bread you know casper van deed and denise richards and neil patrick harris and they're all playing these very like aryan stereotype characters and that they're in Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires. It's never unpacked. <laughs> it's never unpacked. Like, why is Brazil this like lily white Caucasian rich people paradise? Like, and and that alone is like the giveaway. Like, oh, the world is bad now. Like, this is a this is an <laughs> earth that is not cool. Bad things have happened to this earth. And I feel like Verhoeven was counting on us being like five percent more like Dutch. And he's like, oh, I see what he has done here. And like, we're just not that way. Mm-hmm. We need you to mm-hmm. spell it out for us a little. And he made all the costumes very, very Nazi. But like, I went to the jacket for Starship Troopers. That was one of the first movies I ever covered in any kind of professional journalism writer capacity. Uh, I'm dating myself a bit here. And a lot <laughs> of the critics, a lot of my fellow, like the people who have been my colleagues then also did not get that movie. And like Verhoeven was like visibly frustrated talking to some of them about it. So it's not like I'm saying you're a dummy if 
Starship Troopers wasn't immediately apparent to you. Like not everybody is on that wavelength and that's cool. But that's a great example of like, well, that's the kind of thing a critic can do. That's not, is the movie good or bad? Like we obviously mm -hmm. know like the bugs look cool. There's lots of good shooting. Michael Ironside is a badass, but like that that's apparent. It's like, yeah, dig into this stuff. Like what is, what is interesting about Starship Troopers? Why yeah, this war against these bugs? <laughs> and, and and it's going it's it, you look at things a little it's it's sort of like the people who love uh rorschach for the wrong reasons <laughs> yes exactly and and or I, the I, fucking joker or the Sorry. joker for the same <laughs> for the wrong reasons yes exactly yeah. you know like or or really think thanos was right you know all of this stuff that these people that some people don't get but i think that the power of good writing and criticism can help people who because they're not dumb by the way i think that you're just not informed and and well, once and they get information yeah. maybe they can move into something it's, a little bit bigger and a little more thoughtful from then on that yeah. point right it's or or they can reject it having seen it at all because right. the thing yes. is you don't you don't just get a new piece of information and go oh I, now i get it white nationalism it's totally needed Thank you, Jordan Peterson. Or whoever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like uh, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes you reject it, but at least you were it, it was articulated to you, and you had an opportunity to accept it or reject it. Yeah, yeah, and, and so. I mean, I think it can also be hard for those of us who spend a lot of our time in this world of film and TV and trailers and hype and this and that. Like most people, this is this is item 57 through 60 on their list, not two mm -hmm. through four, like it is for you know me and some other people. So it's like, it, it, you, you have to stop yourself and like, you have to hit pause every now and again. Cause sometimes I'll be like, like I was in the theater for No Way Home and like Tobey Maguire shows up, spoiler alert folks. And uh, like, I'll, everybody goes nuts. And my initial thought is like, come on folks. You all knew Toby was going to show up in this movie, but like maybe they didn't. I don't, you're not on the internet every day. Maybe that really was a surprise to you. That that did get by you. Like well, you I'm, know, I'm so they probably like the way it was stuff. set up. It's. I mean, that's possible too. I'm just saying, like I'm so poisoned with this stuff twenty four seven. Like yeah, you know what's going to happen to it because it's my job, and that's also I'm I'm just addicted to the internet. Uh, that I, you know, I just assume everybody's heard about all this stuff and it's all old news to everybody. And like, why are you behind? But it's like a lot of people don't give that much of a crap. You know, they, they'll go see a movie on the weekend, but then they're busy. They're like doing things and have responsibilities. <laughs> hey, yeah, they got to like take care of their children and yeah, pay like bills. I've, and I've purposely rejected dentist. all that, but not everybody has made my choices. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I wanted to talk a bit about, okay, uh, Ron has seen this movie and we can discuss this movie without spoiling a goddamn thing. And it's the movie Don't Look Up. And oh, and boy. and how it hit like a missile in this whole criticism thing, because there was I'll briefly explain the controversy from the, from my perspective. People were kind of miffed and you got into a little bit of this and I saw you on Twitter. But like for me, even I looked at the movie and I looked at the people and it's one of the classic divisive movies where it's like people are like, yo, this is the most biting satire. This is like it's like Patty Jayevsky and then this as far as beautiful satire about our culture. And then there's people who are just like this was so mild and tame and up its own ass, like whether you're a liberal or not, it was up its own liberal ass so far that it wasn't telling me anything I hadn't already heard. And it was kind of snarking at me while it did it. 
and then everything in between. But like, I've, I haven't seen a movie that divisive in a long time. I just found myself unaffected by it. And, and it's shifting in tone, weirded me out and made me not think that it was a real story. And it shifted me into this mode of looking at it as a fable. And, and once I got into fable territory, it wasn't a fable like defending your life or something cool like yeah. that. It was a fable like those other shits that are just like, this is a whimsical tale because it doesn't quite hold together. And it doesn't really make any sense. So whimsy. And that's yeah, why I didn't I, like it. It wasn't any other message. I didn't. I did not hate it while I was watching it. I didn't I didn't mm-hmm. really like it that much. And I knew that I wasn't really thinking it was that funny. Like, I definitely thought Boom. I was excited about this movie when I first heard about it, because it felt like after Big Short and Vice, these purposefully more serious in tone projects, I thought this was Adam McKay going back to doing something like zany. Like, I knew that there was a more serious underlying message than, say, Step Brothers. His his <laughs> crowning achievement, I would say, if we're talking about McKay's overall filmography. Me but, too. Uh, <laughs> love love. I Step mean, Brothers. it's the funniest. Step Brothers is hilarious. Step Brothers is uh, easily his funniest movie to me. But anyway, uh, I thought this was going to be that kind of a return to form, like political satire, but but funny, like big zany, huge cast. Everybody's playing funny characters, and and that was my big disappointment. Was watching it was it felt kind of like SNL broad, like a morning show parody and like Meryl Streep and Jonah Hill kind of doing Trump and Don Jr. And it, it just, it felt, I don't know, tame is the right word, but it just, it felt, it felt easy. And it felt like going after low hanging fruit instead of the real like, villains of climate change. Like, I don't know how you make a, a metaphor about climate change without like energy executives or the UN. I don't even think con- yeah. there's like, there's no Congress people in the movie. It's like, Obviously, it's not just pop stars, the president, and then like Morning Joe. Like somebody else is clearly to blame here. Just write it about climate change. The shit that yeah, people say it about, out like, loud about climate change yeah, is fucking – you can't even make up the shit that people are saying. And you should literally use what this one – I mean there was this one guy who said that we should pull the moon closer. That's how you get a moonfall, folks. I don't approve of that. <laughs> he literally was like, "We should just figure out how to get the moon closer. That'll fix uh, the the weather." And we were what? Like, I don't even know how that's supposed to fix it. Are you talking anything? about? You're solving and, a different it, it, problem this entirely. Is, this is the, but that's what I'm talking about. And then there's some people who think it's not. You know, they make up some other reason it's not real. You could use real stuff from that. Like, first off, let me say that. Uh, Unlike you guys, I fucking love that movie. It made me laugh and also kind of uh, uh, just hit where I was like, oh, yeah, these this is just the truth about a thing. And I think maybe that's why I liked it. But also I can see while you're talking about it, how dangerous that can be, because when you want to get a message across, you can't. It, it just was what we talked about with criticism. You can't just sing to your choir. Yeah. You, you you have to have enough subtleness in there to and sure it can be bombastic it can be zany you can make a point with your zaniness but there has to be something subtle enough in there that it moves people right into an interesting direction yeah i, I think that was my big it was like well what's the takeaway it seems like the takeaway was it made people feel who were already worried about climate change it made them feel like heard like okay, my leaders don't hear me 
and these big corporations don't hear me, but like this movie gets what I'm saying, and like Adam McKay understands what I'm saying, and like I, I guess there's something to that, like that's comforting in its way, but I don't know, I, I feel like if it's really vicious satire, it should be, yeah, trying to like move the needle, trying to like provoke a reaction, trying to like really, and I, and I do, I think it's it's mostly like it's 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 kind of the sanctimonious liberal tweet but as a movie it's kind of like patting you like you're one of the good ones you get what we're saying it's those idiots if only those idiots would get it and like i was arguing with somebody about it on twitter which i've sort of tried i try not to do but um and they and i was like well what was your big takeaway like like if this is a call to action if you do feel inspired by this movie to to try to do something like what are you gonna do like what 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 does this motivate you to do and they're like, not vote for some idiot who's not going to do anything. It's like, but we did. We voted for Joe Biden. He promised to do something. Like, and we already can't. did that He's part. Trying. And it, it, I mean, I'm not blaming Joe Biden. That's what I'm sort of saying about the movie is I feel like it's kind yeah. of a shallow critique. Like, it's not one person. You can't vote no. for Joe Biden and then be like, <laughs> I feel better. Like, that's, and I feel like that's kind of what, that's kind of what it is. It's like, like by watching this movie and expressing solidarity, you like doing your part. It's like, no, that's not fucking helping at all, guys. Like that's yeah. So I'm glad you recycle. feel better. You burn less shit. Drive a car with like good gas mileage. Even recycling. It's like and, and even even the critique about like uh you know like making fun of like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, like fuck those guys. Of course, like I don't mind making fun of them, but like I mean this isn't really their fault either. You know, like I don't know. I just I, well, it it's, just, it's, it it's, it's felt, the thing. It felt too loose to me. Like it needed to be Although, like the tighter that, on. Part of, that was one part that I really did like, though, because I do think that if a billionaire saw an opportunity to make a money, a bunch of money from a thing that might kill everybody, they'd go ahead and take that chance. It's not money. The money that is already happening. I just felt like yeah. it was so. It was so loose, and it's like what we were supposed to make fun of was like what they were goofing on was like. He's an idiot. Like he's a he's an idiot, and he's greedy, and he talks funny, and it was just like, but what's the critique? Like, what's the real critique? It just was. There was too vague to be anything. And like, yeah, we all sure, yes, billionaires who want to go to space, like they're dumb. Like I, I think they're dumb. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a cool thing. I don't think they should be spending that money. It's a distraction. But like, I don't know. It's almost like not even on topic in some ways. Well, but also though, also though, this concept again. I, you know, what was funny about it? I didn't think of it as a climate change thing at all. Yeah. I was so focused on the fact that I'm watching this goofy ass movie in my house rather than in a movie theater. Why? I think you know why. I don't need to fucking say it. That thing. I thought it was a metaphor yeah. for that thing because of all the different ways the president was doing this and that, not caring about it and shit, sure. and then all of a sudden caring about it. And, I thought it was and, about that thing, which illuminates the fact that there are at present too many motherfucking crises for you to make anything yeah, kind of satire. I, I, There's so many crises happening. Well, I, we, we talked a little bit about this on Binge Boys. Like, I think it probably works best. It's not really about any of these things. It's really about the media. It's really a cultural mm -hmm. critique. Mm -hmm. It's really about like we can't share with people we can't get people aligned on the same page to do anything about any of this stuff because there's so many distractions and that's not what tv exists to do anymore it's not there to enlighten it's there just to entertain and distract and to sell and like mm -hmm, yeah. i think it does make some points there i almost feel like yeah he should have abandoned all of the other 
political stuff and just made it more about that. Because say the one other thing that really worked for me about it, uh, as long as we're gonna praise Don't Look Up, because why not? Let's let's mm-hmm. let's mix it up. Uh, I liked DiCaprio's performance a lot, and I thought his character's arc was pretty good. Like as a yeah. movie, take away mm-hmm. all the other as a critique of this or political statement or whatever. I just thought his storyline of being this like nebbishy guy turned media star and then he kind of burns out on that and realize how hollow it is and then that that final scene with his family and i kind of felt like the movie was sort of saying you know don't why bother like just spend the time we have left with those you love like we're not probably not going to be able to organize in time to fix this thing so you might as well just like have dinner with your family and like share these precious last moments a lot of people got very mad at me when I said they thought that I said I thought that was like the theme of the movie, but that almost that was, was more the resonant. The I think mm. that's more resonant than any of the other stuff to me. When like, I was driving home I with my girlfriend, that's that. literally what I turned and told her. Like, this just makes me think I should spend more time with you. Right. It's like, it's just it's like find people you care about, have your favorite fingerling potatoes. This is gonna <laughs> happen whether you care about it or not. Forget that and just eat dinner. And people were like, absolutely not. It's about how we need. And then David Sirota, who wrote the story and collaborated on it, he was on Twitter like, it's about it. It's a call to action. And we all need to. We can, it's not too late. We can still do this. And I'm like, oh, I, I did not take any of this away from the movie. It's like, what are <laughs> yeah. they? What well, is I also knew Ed would do. By the way, I turned to in the middle of the movie and then by the end of the movie, not giving anything away, I turned to my girlfriend. It was like, Ed is not going to like this movie. <laughs> I mean, I just gave a lot away, so I hope that- Yeah. <laughs> well, no, 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 I, 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 no, I think, I think, uh, no, because I, I, like I said, you're, you're, you're deft enough to be not be like, yeah, and then the president, blah, 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 you know? Yeah, so, I mean, I, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they have dinner. There's a dinner. Yeah, they ha- there's a dinner scene. Oh, shit, spoilers, that's another thing. The Timothy Chalamet's people- character loves fingerling <laughs> potatoes, folks. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to spoil the whole movie for you. Movie. I feel like it that's, is, what Marvel is fa- the, that's what Marvel fans are like, though. That's oh, what Marvel dude. fans are like. If I was like, you, you know what I was interested to learn? That Kingpin loves fingerling potatoes. I'd have like eight people like, you son of a bitch. I yeah, wanted to dude. discover the magic of his love of fingerling potatoes on my own. Well, dude, now what I was going to say is uh, I think that movie would have worked for me. Uh, like I think Lon solved it in, in the middle of uh, all of our Dia tribes. I think Lon solved it for me. If I'd love for the character to be, I'd love for the lady that discovered it and the guy who did the math to be the same character, male or female, put those characters together. They're the same character. And then another person so is DiCaprio and J-Law are one character. Right. DiCaprio and J-Law are one character and they discovered this thing and they said, meep, meep, uh, Earth's going to get destroyed. And then a person in the media came to them and was like, I'm going to help you because the media, I'm an Edward R. Murrow, old school type, and the media will not fail us. And then it just failed them all to hell the whole rest of the movie. I think you'd have something as good as Network or something at that time. But I just think it it was too diffuse throughout. Because it would be be about media. It would be about the failure of the media. Anytime the media does – and again, and the climate change thing, I wanted to interject this earlier. Corporations – which are made of people, but corporations do the most polluting by far. One right. factory in your town d- has more carbon output or whatever, bad stuff output, than your entire family line will if we live to the year one billion. Yeah. One factory in your town. Right. And I a linked, that, you know. 
and, and it's right. It's like all these little things that we can do pale in comparison to the big sort of it's nations and multinational conglomerates. Like they're the ones that we need to change and fix. Like we we could recycle or we could get, you know, like a Prius or whatever. And it's good. I'm not saying don't do those things, especially if it makes you feel better. Do it. But the grand scheme, we really need to fix a lot like stuff like air travel that we're just not going to be able to fix as individuals. Even if you stop personally flying, that's not enough. We got to like, like there, there, there was one, I, I was reading a, a climate change uh, site, the climate scientist, and he was saying like, oh, we should just, you know, stop air travel like next year. Like that would be the best thing we could do. It was like, stop air travel for like inessential. And he was like, no, no, just stop. Like, if we really were serious about it, we're just like, no more planes. And it's like, we're just not even it's not ready even to broach the baseline of that. Like, we're not ready to think about anything even remotely on the scale of that. And so I feel like making people feel bad about it. <laughs> we're not even really ready to talk about it. And it was just like, I don't know, like, that's kind of and, and seeing so much of the tenor of the debate on the Internet about it afterwards, where it was people like sicking on on one another and blaming one another and the k and sirota i thought pretty disgustingly were out there like oh if you don't like the movie maybe you're a character in it and like starting this really mean-spirited caustic debate and it's like among people all of whom are concerned about this problem it wasn't like climate change deniers were engaging with this movie they didn't even watch it so it's all people who believe it's a problem just yelling at mm -hmm. each other it's like none of none of you can do anything <laughs> about this like you're just like what is the point of this which is a weird microcosm of of in certain ways the fucking movie which is weird but i wanted to get to this part you i think you you said something in there about the meanness of some of the discourse and stuff i do want to talk yeah. about the genie the climate change genie out of a bottle is analogous to me to the uh politicization of criticism in yes. our sphere of being in the in it's like that that pandora's box has been open and we didn't close our eyes and we, we just our faces are turning to jelly and we're just we're just getting melted like them nazis yeah. but you know uh because i i just think i watched some of these youtube channels and somebody was somebody got on my my twitter and said something about the black rocketeer they're making a black rocketeer with david oyello yes. yes. and yeah. and he goes boy that stuff is a real hard pander bro and Comicsgate and other people have taken this thing called pandering. They've started to say that anything right. with Anytime a black lead or a woman yeah. is a, is pandering. And I'm just so like 50 fucking 75 years of everybody being white or some derivation of white uh, wasn't pandering to you. Right. That wasn't right. some I fucking mean, it's still, problem. It's always still that thing of the, the, the baseline, the assumed starting point is white. And then mm -hmm. anything else you add on is like decorative. Like, oh, what if instead you, of white this one time, brown? And it's like, okay. no, no, no. It's just, you know, like we're all every everybody's starting from an equal position. If you, you know, like you, there's a character in it necessarily any one shade or whatever the writer wants to make them. And what what I think is so crazy is you get all these fans that are like this in terms of TV and movies if they try to switch up a gender or a race of a character. But in comic books, it's always been like that. Like yeah, they were like the like Green Lantern was a white guy when I was a kid, and then a black guy a few years later. And it's been, he's been a, a variety of white and black people, and it's just like I don't get why and it's a stumbling block. And yeah, I don't get why it's a stumbling block in movies when it never was. Like you could have like 
a spider woman. And people are like, all right, now it's a spider woman. One of the things that's the most dangerous thing that has happened in the last 10 years is the fact that people are literally believing two different things based on either politics or being a fan of something or, you know, do you see where I'm going with this? So I think where film criticism can come into all of this is to be an even kill to be a part where it's like, we're going to look at everything in a whole and, and talk about what exists in this without creating divisiveness. And well, I, mean, I, I think, think that that could happen. Can only bring, they can only bring themselves. Like they, they yeah. can only bring, That's I don't true. think it's necessarily their job to like chill everybody else out. Like if they, like, in some sometimes, no. sure. Like I think there are instances where it will be a debate and and the critic's voice is like, there's good points being made here. Here's a middle ground. But I think there are other times where, like uh years ago, when I was first talking about movies on the internet, uh, I would often pre- would always be like, What's a movie everybody loves that you hate? Like that's a very common question or uh, form yes, of yeah. question. And I would always say Forrest Gump. Uh, because I fucking hate that movie and it's like right wing creepy propaganda that always weirded me out since I was a teenager. And in the time that I've been making that argument, a lot of other people have come around. Like now that's a very common, if you type in like Forrest Gump Republican or Forrest Gump conservative, you'll get a lot of blog posts and tweets and comments about it. Uh, I'm not saying like they, like other people just realize this on their own. I'm not saying I led the charge, but, uh, that's just, you know, like that's me making the same comment, but the culture around me has radically changed in the time I've been making it. So I think like that's all I can do. As one voice, I could just be like, here's my take. And sometimes it's going to get me screamed at. And sometimes everybody's going to be like, right on, man. I agree. You know, and it's like sometimes there's going to be people yelling at me from both sides. That's just like, that's the job. And I do think that uh, it's be- like, that job works better when it's less politicized other than in the individual sense. Like as an individual, my politics are what they are and that's immutable. So if I see a movie that I'm like, that movie is racist. I'm not going to be like, it was good except for being racist. Like it violates a (laughs) political belief of mine. And I can't just like not engage with that or like misogyny, anything else. But I'd like to think that if a movie has political ideals that are different from mine, I could still watch it and be like, here's a take on this movie that's separate. from like, And and we do that all the time. I mean, I think there's lots of 80s movies that have like a Reagan era conservative bent or every like kind of copaganda movie. There's a lot of those that I like. And I'm just like, look, I don't necessarily agree with the worldview of this movie, but I, you know, like it, it, the way it's made or the way that this character is reflected or the, the way that it tells this story is still, you know, worthwhile. Even like Red Dawn. Like, I like Red Dawn. I grew up with that movie. It's gross, but like, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, and that, that's, I think that's kind of interesting right there as we round out is that part to me, I think 
that's what criticism is for, is for you to stand there against the slings and arrows of your brethren and the plebeians who aren't as smart as you and the people who uh, are way above your pay grade and and know the fact that like this movie that you're fawning over is the same as the ketchup they made or the bomb that they made that year or whatever. It's all just a product and you having some artistic feeling over it is probably kind of weird and useless while they're while they're up in the sky. All these different factors can fly around. But in the end, criticism is there for you to state your individuality and to see if there's other people in your tribe who think that the Phantom isn't good, but 1989 Batman is and why and all this different, all these different things. It's kind of like it's it's its own piece of art. Like we we understand that there could be like a real thing that happens and then uh, one person makes a documentary about it and one person makes a scripted film about it and one person makes a graphic novel about it. And those are all like different reactions to the same original thing. And I think like, that's what criticism kind of could be as well. It's just like, it's, it's an essay. It's just, it's just an essay. It's just an essay that happens to be a personal reaction to a piece of media that that person saw, but it's not really that different from any other kind of personal essay. It's just your fucking take, you know? Oh, and also so, one thing I'd like to say, though, really, really quickly, uh, I'll give the floor to Ron. I think th- part of it is a time capsule aspect, though. I think people I think maybe in our in our rush to judge things presently, we're not looking at like the fact that uh, I could read the Siskel and Ebert view of a movie from the 70s to see him revisit a movie in the 90s and see how his opinion has slightly changed and to see him in each of the in all of these forms. I think that that's kind of crucial to us understanding that we need to take snapshots and then we need to look at our snapshots laid out over time so that we can see what we felt in the moment and then we can see what we feel way – because in the future, some of the things that we think of as low art, Alphonse Mucha's posters were looked at as low art at the time. They were just fucking flyers. People would hand them to you, crumple them up and throw them on the fucking ground. It's the most – some of the most beautiful art we've ever seen in our lives. Toulouse-Lautrec, same thing. Some yeah. of these, anime has things. been fascinating. Like when anime first came to America and they called it Japanimation. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> it was like it was like VHS tapes at the convenience store and at the comic book store. And like nobody was like, this is great art. This was like this is weird, creepy shit for for weird for freaks. Yeah. Yeah. And like and the first time I saw like that's why my guy came up to me and was like, dude. I got a VHS tape for you. Right. And like the first like, time I saw Ghost of the Show was at like my friend Mike's place. It was like a three times re-recorded over VHS tape. <laughs> and it blew your fucking mind. I was like, this, what is this? Yeah. This is crazy. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, like we had no idea back then that like one day Gen Z would be like, they're all immersed in it from birth. And it's just like assumed to be a great art form in 2021. But yeah, like that was nothing like that. It was new on these shores. And there's a million examples of that. It's important for us to try to just see how things are going and be part of commenting on it. And I love it when we're wrong. I love movies that go into the future in 1997 yeah. as a post-apocalyptic and people are shooting at each other with laser guns. I love that I, because at least they I had a tweeted, take- Yeah, I tweeted this story uh, not long ago. I'll, I'll retell it because it's so good. I, I interviewed uh, James Cameron in 1997 when Titanic was first coming out. I was I, At that point, I was working for the Daily Brew and the UCLA uh, newspaper. So I did a lot of I did a lot of crazy interviews in that era. Like I talked to Ridley Scott for Gladiator, like weird, weird shit. Uh, 
But we, I was at a table. It was like me and like four other reporters and James Cameron. And this is 1997. And he's like, we're talking about, you know, CG because they did all the, the, you know, the the ship and the models and the Titanic and mm -hmm. all the CG. And he's like, you guys wouldn't believe this animation is so way beyond what we're even doing. This blew your mind, this Titanic, you know, ship stuff. Wait till you see what they're working on now. And he used Mel Gibson as an example because it was 1997. He was one of the biggest stars in the world. He was like, we're at the point now where we could have Mel Gibson and you could shoot him today at his current age. And we could just use computer animation to like make him look like he's 17, make him look like he's 80, make him look like whatever. And it's all Mel Gibson shooting all the performance, but we're just manipulating how he looks with animation. And every single person at the table, all film writers, all movie experts were like, not in our lifetime. Like that's that we're never going to get there. Like you can make a dinosaur, but you can't make a realistic, I believe it, Mel Gibson is 80. And like, we're maybe not right there yet, but he nailed it. Like close. he got very close <laughs> to what we're really doing <laughs> to an eerie degree. Um, I mean, that so Will yeah. Smith one, not a great movie, but that was pretty, pretty good. Oh, yeah. Gemini Man. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. some yeah. of that stuff, it doesn't always, it doesn't always work. But when it does work, you're like, holy shit, that's pretty close. Like, uh. Well, dude, but you know what future that we didn't miss? And I think this can be uh, part of our last points here. I don't think we realize how much story is still part of it. And I don't think we realize how sometimes technology doesn't help the stories. And last things last, I don't think we realized how much technology applied to certain old stories, old style stories was going to happen. Like I couldn't have foreseen the Irishman if you gave me a billion dollars. They're going to use a bunch of CGI aging and de-aging shit to do this sort of what would have been a $20 million kind of period yeah. piece about a guy who shoots people, people in the head. Are, people are so down what on it. I thought it. I thought it worked some of the time. I'll tell you when that stuff doesn't work is when it's a full body shot and they have to move yeah. because you can't <laughs> CG a 70 something year old man kicking a guy like a 30 year old man. And the other one that's no. really bad is, and, and I, I don't love the guy. I don't mean to beat up on it. But Samuel Jackson in Captain Marvel, <laughs> the face looks fucking great. The face looks great. I believe it. But there's that scene where he's got to, like, run down the hallway. He's, he's doing an old man shuffle. We all know the old yeah. man shuffle. We've all got older relatives. And it's just like, I don't, what are you going to do with Samuel Jackson? He's 75 or something. <laughs> See, and that's when you do the thing that they used to do with uh, Tom Cruise sometimes to take Tom Cruise's face off and put it on a guy occasionally. Like they they do they yeah. do well, and, and of course with Tom Cruise point, they like, would have to do it the less. Find a 30-year-old guy who looks like well, that, that's what I said. Yeah. Find a 30-year-old guy and put Samuel Jackson's face on him. Isn't that what yeah. isn't that what they did with Luke? They got some guy who looked like yeah. Luke and did a yeah, tiny, that's... tiny, tiny bit of of work and it was perfect. Yes. And that the the most amazing one of these I've ever seen because they didn't do the digital effect on it at all. Did you guys see that Halloween Halloween Kills, the one last year that they did on Peacock? I saw uh, it on Peacock. <laughs> they have so did I. Uh they had Donald Pleasance. They have Dr. Loomis in it. And it looks so good. You're like, wow, that is a really impressive special effect. They made that guy look just like young Donald Pleasance. And it's just a mask. It's a literally a prosthetic. There's no CGI. They they use practical effects to make it look better than I've ever seen it look digitally. So See, look, I wish it would go that direction too. I mean, all with too. all the technology, the you know, because we can yeah. we can three D print anything right now. So like, just as we can make anything in, uh, see how cosplay, like, 
You know, like sometimes you yeah. see cosplay and it's so amazing. It's like that could be in a movie. Like you know, like mm-hmm. don't you don't need CGI if you've got the ability to print that. Yeah, I, I, I like. In fact, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original movie. Remember when their lips were moving? That shit was great. Yeah, that <laughs> shit that, was honestly, great. The first two Ninja Turtle movies look really fucking good for being early nineties. Like. Like Secret of the Ooze, their movement is really smooth, and it's like, how did that? That that's impressive. That was like Hanson, yeah, so. right? Was that Hanson? Uh, well, so as we as we round out here, I want to do one thing as we go out. We talked about a lot about our personal tastes and stuff. What are our what are what are what are your top five? I'll give you a chance to think about it, Lon. What are your top five movies? All time? What, what, yeah. What's your what are your sensibilities? Oh, by the way, and this is gun to your head. This brutal. is gun to your head. By the way, gun I just wanted to mention like. What I thought was really interesting is we were trying to talk about whether criticism is the greatest. And then what we did was we uh, we we analyzed a bunch of different movies. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to before we decide on these top fives, I'm just going to say that I think uh, criticism may be reworded is definitely the greatest. It's here to stick around. I think it's a thing that's important. I think it's important for people to be able to have discussions about art and really hear other people's opinions and viewpoints because the more Ed, – Ed likes to say this thing about learning vocabulary because uh, the more words that you know, the more feelings you can express. Um, and I think that's the same thing with when you're talking about art. The more opinions and openness you have to other people's ideas, the better chance you have to – grow and have an opinion about art so yeah i think that's well reasoned and i I think uh, i think i agree so all right top five movies gun to your head you can't you can't waffle bunch of bullshit all right um my first one i'm gonna go with the the coen brothers early masterpiece miller's crossing uh maybe my the coen brothers i usually go like they're my personal favorite directors or joel cohen i guess if you just want to isolate him and that's my favorite of their movies so we'll, we'll we'll start with that one uh you guys ever seen miller's crossing so good uh i've, I've seen miller's Crossing, and the thing the thing i thought about it though was how it just seemed so seemed like that was like this treatise on gangster life at that time and the, so the first time i saw it i was just like this is a weird gangster movie and then i watched it again and i was like oh this is telling another story it's not just a, it's not really about gangsters per se right that it's it's I mean it is, but it's also just that that world and that that way of speaking almost like that's the other thing about it. It's like one of the great screenplays of all time. Like mm-hmm. every line is written in a way that's like interesting, and it's really it captures that Coen brother dialogue where it's like everybody speaks in a way that's different and interesting and unique and funny, and like you could just kind of listen to them banter and play off one another, and so well acted. Albert Finney is amazing in that. John Polito. Steve Buscemi, what a, what a cast, what a movie. Uh, I'm a big fan of that one. Uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, uh, probably the, the, one of those Leonis. That one or Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I also really like one he did called uh, Duck, You Sucker. That's also known as Fistful of Dynamite with James Coburn. But I love mm-hmm. a lot of those, like those, those kind of very sort of, you know, like uh, colorful, not not visually colorful, but like, filled with like interesting characters and crazy adventures and violence and shootouts and these, these epic stories against like war and revolution and like Sergio Leone just, just did those on a scale that like nobody else was really doing. And they've all got so much personality. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. Like, yeah, yeah this, this is really hard. 
I mentioned shoot the piano player, that Truffaut movie. That's definitely one of my favorites. I mean, I, I, I haven't like seen that. I'm not. I'm not going to front. Is it on HBO like, Max? Because I'll definitely check it out uh, if it's on there. It's on Criterion Collection for sure. Um, but yeah, that that one's great. It's just it's like a gangster. It's like an innocent guy who plays. You know, like an an average guy who he's a jazz musician. He plays piano at this nightclub, and he kind of gets in, in one of those kind of noir thriller type stories where he gets in with mm. some very bad people, and it like way over his head, and it just kind of becomes this like you know, like he's he's in a, an increasingly tight corner. He's got to keep playing his way around it or getting out of it, and uh, mm. average guy up against like these kind of dark forces. And it's re- it's really well done. It's a uh, it's very cool. Um, similar in some ways, I, I watched this great one called. Uh, the American Friend that Vim Benders did uh, with Dennis Hopper and Bruno Gans. It's actually uh, it's based on a Tom Ripley novel, like Incredible Mr. Ripley, that that Matt Damon mm-hmm, movie, mm-hmm. which I also love. Uh, so that was actually from a series of books Patricia Highsmith wrote. That's like Tom Ripley at different points in his life con different people. So Dennis Hopper's playing Tom Ripley, like much older, and it's based on a different Ripley novel. Uh, well, that's it's weird. Back in the days, you could have a superhero universe about a serial killer, <laughs> yeah. you know, who went through, who who was a, who changed his identities over time and was doing bad shit from. Milan yeah, it's always like Tom Ripley, Milan. and he's always like he's got himself, you know, like he's dug into a different like high society culture, mm-hmm. you know, and he's just like a con man who occasionally will. Uh, you know, murder you if you get in his way, but only, but it's like, it's interesting. Cause like, he's not like a, like a crazed, like he's not Jason Voorhees. It's just like, mm-hmm. if he really doesn't like you, maybe he'll kill you. Or if you're in his way, he'll kill you. But otherwise he could be affable. Like he's not a he's monster. Kinda like, I, he's kind of like Hannibal Lecter in that he kills you for the crime of rudeness, you know, rudeness yeah, or fucking bit, up his but plans. It, but it's also, he's just like, he's like a schemer. He's always got like an angle, mm-hmm. like, I need you to do this thing for me. And then I'll do, you know, like he's always got a plan within a plan within a plan. And then if something goes wrong and it's like, well, maybe I got to kill this guy. But it's not <laughs> like he's setting out to be like murdering. It's just like, mm-hmm. well, you, that, 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 I can't, you or me. And it's obviously not going to be me. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think there's some other good ones here. Um, that was, uh, I think that's three. Is that three? I'll give you, okay. I'll give you a reprieve, Ron. Oh, your top oh, three. I oh you know. Goodfellas. Okay, go Goodfellas. Mark Scorsese's <laughs> Goodfellas. Definitely one of my. I, I sometimes I'm back and forth because I do love Casino as well. So I do go back and forth. But no, I think that's fair. Uh, I think Goodfellas probably number one, and then one more. Um, it's so it's it's fun. It's you know I just did this to you because with somebody with such a film repository in your head. I know how hard this is, so this is why no. this is why it's good radio because you're really fucking agonizing. It's, it's like I really shit. am. Well, yeah, there's so many because I'm I'm scanning through a list of like you know I made a list years ago of like my favorite directors. Like I'll I'll just I'll just pick one. Oh oh, that's a good one. Uh, Videodrome. I'm a huge fan of Cronenberg huh. Videodrome. I wrote a big paper about that one. All, all that '80s like uh, that that was like. When I first started getting into, as a kid, I only liked comedy. That was like all that I watched for like the first 10 years of my life. I just like, I liked Steve Martin and Tom Hanks and John Candy and Rick Moranis and like Chevy Chase and Bill Murray. And like, wasn't one of those guys. I like really wasn't that interested in it. Um, And then very slowly after that, like between like 10 and 13 is when I started getting into horror movies. And that was also right at the like, late 80s early 90s so all those 80s all that 80s horror just flooded into my brain within a very short time span 
uh, and had a huge impact on me. And that was one of those movies I saw when I was like 14, like probably too young. And it was really messed up and weird. And it's got those mm -hmm. practical effects. Like the same guy that did the thing, Rob Bottin, I think is how you pronounce his name. Uh, and it's all those like, like uh, his stomach is opening up with jaws and he's got guns growing out of his hand. And it's like so creepy and visceral and upsetting. And it really mm -hmm. made a, like a lifelong impact. on me. Nice. That's fucking nice. hardcore. See, and that's a great, well-considered list. And maybe I could edit around <laughs> me saying we should give ours because that list is way more intelligent than mine. And, and oh yeah, Ron, Ron's going to be stupid. Is, is yours of a bunch of Harry Potters? What's happening? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> no, I tried uh, to like keep it like not too, you know, like I tried to keep it look, ground level. My, like, my, here's my problem. Fellas, right? Here's my problem. Are we are we saying my favorite movies? Are you talking about the movies that I think are good? Because that's two different things. Because here's the thing. Like movies that I really, really think were good that I feel like had an impact on me that I just don't watch anymore are things like Goodwill Hunting. And um, I'm not gonna yeah, it's, hunting. yeah, but that's what I'm saying is like, but that's not my favorite movie. I mean, right now, my favorite movie is I, literally. I mean, I wasn't picking these Coke. because they. I was picking it. I mean, in some cases, it's like I saw it at this moment in my life, like Videodrome, where it's like that's yeah. always stuck with me because of the experience of when I first experienced it. But no, these are like movies I return well, to a lot that I value a lot that I've seen several times. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't pick and that's what, that's, like, Oh, I don't think you're doing that. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. For me, it's like there's movies that I really like that I think are great. Schindler's List fucking fucked me up when I watched that movie. You know what I mean? Like, that's a great movie. But I don't rewatch Schindler's List. No, and I, I don't, don't know if that's a favorite movie. You know. you know, The Fisher King, for instance, is another movie I really, 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 oh, really, God. really yeah. liked. Like that, that had like a huge influence on me as a kid. It's not one of my favorite. I don't rewatch I mean, it. I, I you know what I rewatch? I rewatch Thor Ragnarok. Right. Well, literally, like, rewatchability is I. That one I will say. Like I don't think necessarily – I think a lot of people assume that, that favorite and rewatchability are tied. Like your favorite yeah. movie is the one you watch the most. And like I don't necessarily think that's true. Like I definitely have yeah. like comfort movies where if I'm like bummed, don't feel great, I'll throw them on because they just make me feel better. And that doesn't mean that it's like one of my favorite movies. It just means like – I like having oh, well, let's that name, one let's on. Let's name some of those. Let's name some of those. I think that's more interesting because I, I think that's probably what I meant by favorite. Because I'll give you these are my favorite movies, and these are movies I watch. I watch motherfucking Jackie Brown because watching oh. Jackie Brown is like hanging out with my friends. I mean, I, it, as far as to be stuff, the, I'll throw on. That's 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 a little yeah. different. Like if you say my favorite movies, I think you do mean like which are the movies that I like. It's it's overall. It's had the biggest impact that I think are the best that I watch a bunch. Like I think mm -hmm. it, I'm trying to get all of those at once. If you're just like what movies do you like throw on when you're bored or you just want something on? It's like, I like Zodiac a lot. That's a, that's a comfort movie for me. I love uh fantastic Mr. Fox that, that Wes no, Anderson. Nice. Stuff <laughs> on. That's a great, yeah. that's a great background movie folks. I don't yeah. know. I'm just putting that out there. I mentioned Michael Mann, anything, Michael Mann. I'm just a huge fan, but like look, he obviously is like a big, touchstone comfort just throw it on just to have it on kind of movie for me so yeah i mean i think it's, there's there's you know there's different three amigos. yeah i'm definitely i'm definitely a uh he a comfort love, movie love top tops movies. is jackie brown boogie nights casino heat 
and probably Malcolm X. No, I'm just joking. Uh, I, that's one of my favorite <laughs> movies as far as my like, boom. I don't just put it on in the background. I have I like look at it as a piece of art every time. So if I'm going to go for uh, the last spot would be either uh, it's a tie between Jaws, Tremors and Aliens as far as that other movie that I'll just throw on just because that so that those I are love, my, I, I love Tremors. like i mean i like all those movies but uh i i saw tremors also at that really formative like key Dude. moment where it was like the perfect blend of horror and creature and b movie and comedy and like right at the right moment to like light my brain up well dude i'll tell you what uh one day uh one day soon we got to have you back on for a Patreon episode and and we'll talk about Tremors because I think yes. you and I could have a grand old fucking time talk about Tremors oh, love, and we'll love, drag Ron underground with us and, and use our tentacles <laughs> to turn him into a Tremors head in, like us. I watched that yeah. in the theater. I, I loved oh, it. I remember it, loving it. I don't dude, know, I remember love. why I loved it. So I can't have like a real it's, great conversation about it, but I know that I had a great time watching it's that It's a movie. lot. It's a lot of fun because it, it's, it, 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 it's got a toe in all those worlds, but without – like it's not so gross that it stops being funny, but it's not so zany that it doesn't get kind of spooky. And like, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of like, literally, just it's the balance that makes it. I think, wow, like a, like a perfect movie. And awesome. and and, so, and just just and, and that's a perfect way to end it because it is. And film criticism is film criticism the best, or is film criticism or is criticism the greatest? If it has a balance, yeah. A little bit of balance, a little a balance of personal anecdote, a balance of personal politics, along with film knowledge, along with zeitgeist knowledge about how this would impact time, and a little bit of humanistic ability to relate these great works to regular people and see if they would dig it. That's what's necessary in a, in a critic. But yeah, where can people um, hear uh, hear you on podcast form and also uh, read your writings and and just interact with the line experience the way that I have? Oh. Uh, well, follow me on Twitter. That's the, that's the number one thing to do. That's where I share everything I'm working on. L O N S over there. Easy to find just four letters. Uh, and you can also, uh, find my podcast with Hal Rudnick. That's called binge boys. We, uh, meet up every week and talk about whatever we watched on all the major streaming services. Uh, we talked about station 11 recently. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. Hawkeye, obviously all the Marvel stuff. And this, we'll talk about Boba Fett. We'll yell about that one next week. Uh, so yeah, that and that's on anywhere you find podcasts, you could find that. Just search binge boys and we'll pop up. Nice. Hell so yeah. So thank you, as always, for listening to another awesome, super cool episode of The Greatest Pod. That's how we end it, Lon. I figure. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I'll end it. <laughs>